Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. So do you worry that you need to have your major all figured out before applying to college, but maybe you like too many subjects to narrow it down? Or maybe like me, you really like history, but everybody tells you you can't do anything with history and you'll end up destitute with no job. (laughs) Anyway, the second and third segments will be for you. I'll be talking with my colleagues, Becky Lightling and Karen Spencer, about whether applying undecided really is fine and how students choose majors that they haven't been exposed to in high school. But first, First, I'll be talking with my colleague, Jan Combs, about why you might need to fill out the CSS profile for financial aid. Welcome, Jan. Thank you, Sally. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Happy to be here and talk about financial aid forms. And I have to say, as we were talking right before this, um, I get a lot of questions about this. I mean, as parents are understandably super stressed out, right? Uh, or students sometimes when the parents are like, this is on you and you have to do this, you know, in which case I'm like, well, your parents have to give their information. So and they're like, why one more form? Why isn't the FAFSA enough? Why do colleges keep asking? So, so let's start with kind of the, you know, the basics what is this thing anyway? <laughs> right. What is this thing called the CSS profile? And I'm glad you mentioned FAFSA, just mm-hmm. to kind of reiterate for folks that that is the main financial aid form that all colleges use and will need. And then there's a small subset of colleges that also require a second form, and that's the CSS profile form. And that's used at just under 200 colleges in the country. Um, They tend to be highly selective private colleges with a selection of selective uh, big public institutions Mm -hmm. as well. So just under 200. So really a small subset, about 5% of all the colleges that are out there. But if they require it and you're looking for your student to receive need-based grant funding from the college, and in some cases, scholarship dollars, they need to complete it along with the FAFSA. So it's not in place of FAFSA, but it's in addition to at a small subset of colleges. Mm-hmm. So why do families complete it? Like, So we know that a very tiny subset require it, but why do they require it? Sure. So there's actually a lot of reasons why they may require it. And one is that what I just mentioned, the biggest reason is if you want your student to be eligible for need-based financial aid funds, they need the CSS profile that captures additional financial information about the family to help those colleges make their very best decisions when awarding need-based grant funds. So that's probably the biggest reason. In addition, there's definitely some colleges out there that even though we know that for merit scholarships, typically it's based on your student, right? Your student's academic performance or profile or talents. But at some colleges out there, and I I have to say, see more and more colleges kind of adding this into their mix. For some of their merit scholarships, they may have a need component or they're simply requiring the financial aid applications to be submitted. So it's not just about need-based aid. It could be related to scholarships scholarships as well. So that's something to have top of mind. I do encourage families um, 
just to kind of consider completing it. Um, you can use a net price calculator on the college website to see if there's a chance of receiving need-based aid. If so, you definitely want to complete it. Do several research on the college websites to see if they need it for scholarships, because if they do, obviously that's mm -hmm. a big reason. And then think about the fact that what if your financial situation ever changed, right? The financial aid office can't help you if they don't have your financial aid forms on file. Mm -hmm. So those are some main reasons. And there's one more. Um, well, there's actually two more that I'll point out. Another is there's some colleges that have a policy that if you don't complete the financial aid applications in year one, and I'm not going to call them out, but it does exist, that they won't consider the student for aid in future years. Mm -hmm. even if their financial situation changes. So personally, I don't think it's a nice policy, but it's done at some schools. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to read up on on their website. Is it a school that has that policy? And then, of course, real quick, there's some scholarship entities out there, private donors that also may require the CSS profile. Um, and their names are listed on the list of institutions that require it. Mm -hmm. So those are some pretty good reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I think you definitely, listen, I worked at, um, I, I think all three of the institutions I worked at required it, um, Reed College, Whittier yeah. College, and University of Chicago, and Whittier was, I love Whittier, but it accepted over 50% of those who applied, so it wasn't even one of these hyper-selective institutions. I don't know if it still requires it, I want to be really clear. Um, but I will just say that at, at Reed, one time uh, one of my, our transfer students didn't complete the CSS profile and his mother called me up to say, why didn't he get aid? And I said, well, he didn't complete our, the aid form. And she said, well, the folks at University of Florida said he didn't need it. And I said, why would you pay attention to what someone at University of Florida said when he was applying to Reed? I don't like, I mean, it was such a bizarre and, you know, so unfortunately, he didn't get aid in his first year. I mean, I told her she could wait a year, but, they, you know, there was no way to give him aid. So, and, and we probably would have otherwise, you know, like we didn't fund all transfers, but we funded some of them and he was a strong student. So, you and, know. And I'm going to jump in if I can real quick to say that I'm glad you shared that story, right? Mm -hmm. Because University of Florida doesn't require it, right? Exactly. But many schools do. So you want to go right to the source. And the CSS profile application and all of related information is housed by the college board. This is another college board product. So it's at cssprofile.collegeboard.org. That's where you access the application. And that's where you also access the list of participating institutions. So you very quickly can click on that list once you're out on the College Board site, and you'll see in alpha order the different institutions that require it, as well as any scholarship entities that require it as well. So quick glance at that tells you mm -hmm. exactly the schools that your child might need it for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't miss this one. I felt so bad for this woman, but frankly, there was no way around it. So yeah. So what, I mean, what are the components that, I mean, why do the colleges ask for this? Like, what kinds of questions do they ask that the FAFSA doesn't capture? Right. So a lot of the questions are very similar in nature. So it seems very repetitive at first because it's going to be similar information to FAFSA, you know, tax data from the base year tax return, as well as some asset information, family size, things of that nature. Where it's very different from FAFSA is the CSS profile will also ask for information related to the primary home that you live in. So if you own your primary residence, it will ask for information related to that. You 
year of purchase, value, mortgage amount, things like that, where FAFSA simply doesn't ask about the primary residence. That's the one of the bigger pieces. CSS profile also will collect information about expenses, which is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. It will ask the family if they have private school education expenses, out-of-pocket medical, um, if the parents have their own educational debt, so things like that. It will ask for those types of expenses where FAFSA does not. Mm-hmm. It will also ask for more in-depth information related to parental assets. It's going to go a step further. It does collect information about, say, 401k balances um, and other retirement funds. It doesn't run those amounts through the formula, but it's anecdotal information that they do collect. So it's a deeper dive into Mm -hmm. family finances for sure. The other thing that the CSS does allow you to do is there's a special circumstances section at the end, and it allows you to provide additional information to those schools via the CSS profile if you have extenuating circumstances. It's like 2,000 characters, so plenty of room to write your story. If you have extenuating circumstances that you want to document and share, the CSS profile allows you to do that, whereby FAFSA, you would have to write a separate letter and send it to the financial aid office if you wanted to provide additional information. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a fellow student um, who whose parents were taking care of both her grandparents on mm-hmm. her father's side. Yeah, and it, the expenses were enormous and far beyond what the social benefits paid for. Exactly, elder care is a perfect example of an extenuating circumstance. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I guess I'll, if you don't mind, I'll just put a plug in based on Please. the fact that um, this episode will be airing right before October 1st, which is when both FAFSA and the CSS profile will launch for the upcoming 23-24 academic year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those listeners who have current seniors, have October 1 kind of you know top of mind, both for FAFSA and CSS profile if your student's applying to a school that requires it. They'll both mm-hmm. be available. Um, don't feel like you need to do it on the first. Don't put that pressure on yourself. But I encourage people to try to really focus on it and complete it in the month of October. And that way, you know, you're meeting all the different deadlines that are out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and I want to I wanna emphasize that too. I mean, another thing that's important is meeting deadlines. Also at some of the schools I worked at is even if you were a few days late, in some cases that jeopardized your aid. Absolutely. Priority filing deadlines are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say try to do it in October. Mm-hmm. Um, because schools may, you know, 10 different schools on your students list might have 10 different deadlines. So if you just try to get it in early, you know, in the month of October, likely you'll be meeting all of those deadlines that are out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I do want to also say that just because they gather information doesn't mean all the colleges use it. Like you mentioned home equity. Um, you know, I worked at a college that used the CSS profile that did not look, though, at home equity. I mean, I don't know, maybe they would have if the house was like a crazy mansion, right? Like they might have looked at it for kind of that broader story. But if you lived in San Francisco and you had a very expensive house, but for San Francisco, it was normal. It was going to be understood that that actually wasn't something that you could use as a liquid asset very quickly and easily. Right. That's a good point that the CSS profile is going to ask for a lot of questions. Um, I remember doing it for 
both of my oldest children. Mm -hmm. And some of the questions were even, you know, what kind of car do you drive? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the same for my students. And of course, all the home equity information. And different schools will use the information in different ways, right? The formula is, you know, fairly standard from looking at income and assets. But not all schools are going to consider home equity. Um, Not some schools will cap the amount of the home equity. So there's different ways that schools will use it. Um, So that is a good point. Um, Mm -hmm. So you have to complete it, but just know that until your student gets into the college and they review the data and give you back that financial aid award letter, then at that point, you'll know exactly what you'll get. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to put in a a one last plug too. I I talk to parents who I feel like they're a little paranoid, like they're like, I don't want the government to know more and about my information. Like when it comes to filling out these forms, they get sort of freaked out and and uh, and I'm like, well, if you submit your taxes, the government yeah. already knows this is going to the schools. <laughs> yes. I said, and I can promise you nobody's selling this information like it's really financial aid officers are not out there trying to make a quick buck. Believe me, they're in the wrong profession if they are, <laughs> you know, so just look at this more as a way to give them the information needed so that they can hopefully help your student uh, attend college. Yeah, I agree. If you think that you need help paying for college, regardless of what process your student is going through Mm -hmm. from the admissions perspective, if you need funding for college, if your student is looking for a discount, then this is just a necessary part of it, completing Mm -hmm. the FAFSA for every school and the CSS profile for the schools that use it. If you don't complete it, you can't get help. You know, Mm -hmm. that's my best message is to complete it if you need assistance Mm -hmm. and to try to meet those really important deadlines. Yeah. I mean, giving the information is better than more loans than you, you know, might otherwise have to take out. I mean, anytime you can get a discount, why not? So Mm -hmm. completing both of these forms is an important part of that process. And, you know, to your point, Sally, we file our taxes very much so oftentimes online, right, for the IRS site. Mm -hmm. Or even if you're mailing it in, someone else is hand entering it at the IRS. So the information is online. It's just kind of part of it. Mm -hmm. I completely understand people's concerns about Mm -hmm. security and privacy. Um, But these two financial aid forms, FAFSA and CSS Profile, are important pieces of the process, Mm -hmm. just like the student's admissions application is. Um, It's all very important pieces of the process, and they align together, and they're done really simultaneously. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jan. You're welcome. Good luck to all the families out there. Remember October 1st. Yeah, October 1st, definitely. All right, so now we'll take a short break. And when we return, I'll be talking with Karen Spencer and Becky Lightling of College Coach. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. 
Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Karen and Becky. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being on the show. I think it's great that we're doing these topics because there is so much anxiety about from students, from parents, about whether their student can actually apply to college undecided. Does it hurt in the admission process? Does it mean that um, they're not going to graduate from college on time? Does it mean that they're going to end up penniless and alone after they graduate? I mean, really, the anxiety about this is pretty extreme. And um, and I just I'm really glad we're all here to reassure them today. And like, let me just state right at the outset that it really is fine to apply undecided to a school that allows you to apply undecided to a school. So, um, but what I thought we would start with is, Karen, you have a pretty good story about changing your major, being undecided. Yeah. Um, you know, be like, so why don't we, why don't we kind of like dig into your story first and sure. foremost? Story time with Karen. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was a good example. I was undecided going into my freshman year at Valpo, um, had lots of interests, thought I knew what I didn't want to do, but wasn't Karen, sure what. I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt. Valpo is Valparaiso. Correct? Valparaiso. 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 Sally. Sally. Yes. No, I know ESPN <laughs> gets this wrong every time we're in March Madness. So it's Valparaiso. <laughs> it's like Gonzaga. They always get their name mispronounced. Yeah. Valpo is the same way. So Valparaiso, mm-hmm. which is probably why everybody on ESPN says Valpo, because then they don't have to worry <laughs> about saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, went to school in uh, at Valpo and was undecided. Um, knew I didn't like things like science. Um, I was good at math, but didn't really like it. Um, um, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do instead. So I was undecided. And as a, I'm a 47 year old gainfully employed human being for the last 25 years. So there is hope for all of you undecided. I promise you, your children are not destined to live at home with you for the rest of their lives. Um, So undecided, um, dabbled in a few things. um, And I thought I might want to be a teacher. Um, And so I took intro to education 
um, my sophomore year. And mercifully, Valpo made an intro to education. You had to spend four hours every Tuesday morning for a semester um, observing a classroom of roughly the age group you thought you might want to teach one day. Um, and I was in a third grade classroom. And I can tell you right now, about three or four visits in, I was like, yeah, no, this is this is not going to work for me. Um, and it, which is almost a little silly because it's not like it was some odd, you know, profession. I mean, I've been a third grader. I'd been in a classroom. This wasn't even a particularly novel environment. Um, but I think what I realized at the time I couldn't deal with, and I'm not really sure I could have articulated this at age 19, but looking back, um, two things that I knew I couldn't deal with. One was kind of the routineness of the day, right? Every day at nine was math. Every day at 10 was spelling. Every day at 11 was whatever. And obviously there's variety to those days in other ways, but that monotony, I think, really would have driven me crazy. Um, it's one of the things I love best about our job at College Coach, right? Every day is, is different, right? Today I'm talking to you guys on the radio show. I'll read essays after this. Tomorrow I'm giving a webinar. Are, right. So I, I needed more variety to my day. Um, and I think I also realized I didn't like the lack of agency that some I feel like teachers have. Right. If I wanted to go get a cup of coffee, I just wanted to go get a cup of coffee. Right. Or if I went to the bathroom or do whatever I want to do, I don't want to have to like find someone to watch my kids and like go, like I just didn't like I felt a little trapped. Mm. Um, so that was a good experience. And I'm sure why they make you observe a classroom for a semester, because I'm mm. sure that weeds out quite a few people. But I think the key thing that's always the most interesting about my story, at least to me, is that at Valpo, like at a lot of places, um, you had to take gen ed requirements. And I had to take, I had passed out of one science and math course because of my score on an AP bio exam, but I still had to take two other science or math courses. And so I tried to find the least sciencey courses <laughs> I could find that with a lab, because they had both be with a lab, um, that fulfilled that requirement. And so I took uh, meteorology, which actually Valpo is known for, and psychology, because I was like, okay, these look like kind of softer sciences. This is not, you know, physics or whatever, which I managed to avoid in high school. Um, so, you know, the course I wanted to take the least, right, or at least the subject matter of science turned out to be my major. So I took intro to psychology, um, loved it, um, loved everything about it, took an abnormal psych class, was probably my favorite class in college. Mm. Um, and that ended up becoming my major. So I always say, you know, people get kind of disgruntled about their gen ed requirements sometimes, but I'm a perfect example of why you have gen ed requirements. Mm. Right. At the course I want to take the least was the one that introduced me to the subject matter that I love the most. So um, that's kind of my story. I ended up being a psych major, um, ended up with a triple minor in music, political science and um, theology, because these are other gen ed courses I had to take. And I well, or some did. And I just kind of kept taking classes until I had a minor and kind of collected things. So um, but that's a good example of undecided and why gen ed um, mm -hmm. matters. So. Was there any challenge? It doesn't sound like it, but any challenge having, I mean, I think you said you took psychology in your sophomore year for the first time. Is that um, correct? Yes, it was my sophomore year, my first semester sophomore year. I took that intro to education because I knew mm -hmm. I was going to have to declare a major by the end of sophomore mm -hmm. year. So I was like, mm -hmm. we better start thinking about what that might be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what introduced me to the education because I thought that was going to be it. And then psych was just, again, to fulfill my mm -hmm. gen ed mm -hmm. requirement. And that's when I was like, oh, that's mm -hmm. actually, yeah, I wish I'd done it earlier, but I, I, mean, I still graduated in time. It was all fine. Um, but right. And it doesn't sound like it was hard to fit in all the psych classes you needed to be able to graduate. Nope. Correct? And I did that with three minors, which I right. required their own sense of, I mean, there were plenty of courses I had to take for those two. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're on top of it, um, you should be fine. Mm hmm. How about you, Becky? Let's let's kind of dig into your story. Maybe you came in, decided and knew exactly what you wanted to take. But I'm curious. 
So I was pretty sure I was going to do either history or math because those were my favorite subjects in high school. Um, And I took history and a math class in my first two terms. My third term, I took intro to American studies because it fit in the time slot that I wanted to Mm -hmm. fill. That was not a thing that was offered in my high school. So it would never have been something that I thought going in should be my major. Um, But the learning experience I had in the class was like the clouds parted the sun shone. I felt smart and powerful with the learning tools that I was being taught in a way that I had never before experienced in an academic setting. Um, I remember our first unit was on American studies is a very interdisciplinary approach to understanding place and identity in the U.S. and how those overlap and inform each other. Um, And our first unit was on the shopping mall, this mundane thing that I had taken for granted all my life. And all of a sudden I was studying how they are designed, how they are curated to intentionally attract and retain and invite certain people in specific ways and how different people experience that space differently and bring their own identities and experiences to that. And I was like, mic drop. I had never, I just had never considered these things. And then for the end of the unit, we did um, a field trip to the Mall of America, which was 40 minutes away from my college. And we had to do an ethnographic report. We spent a lot of time leading up to that understanding appropriate uh, best practice interview practices to recognize our own limitations and biases and try to normalize how we were engaging with the people we were studying. And I did a report on the mascots at the Mall of America, right? The prawn at Bubba Gum Shrimp Company, the SpongeBob at the Nickelodeon space. And I just like felt so smart and dynamic and curious <laughs> and interested and interesting. And it just made me feel differently about learning. Um, and I hope that every kid listening to this, that you are able to find something like that in your current or future life where you are developing tools that you understand how you can use them and you understand why they matter. Um, and I remember after that term going home and going to the mall with my parents and we were like leaving them all through one of the department store exits so that, you know, like picture eight doors and there's a metal detector at each door. And we left at the same time as a pair of friends to, they looked like teenagers, they were black girls and the alarm went off. And my parents, my white parents in their fifties with professional jobs kept walking. They, that alarm was not for them. I stopped, I looked around, no one was coming. My parents were away. So I kind of ran to catch up with them. And when I got to the car and looked back, the two black teenagers were still standing there. And I don't know what any of those people were thinking other than me, but I, looking back, was like, oh my God, I have the tools to talk about what just happened and how to process that and how to think about my role and my tools and what I can do with that information and and understanding. Um, And I just felt smart in a way I was not used to feeling smart. And I think about that a lot, about the first time I felt like I was learning because I wanted to be able to better understand versus learning for a grade or learning for something that was asked of me. Sorry, mm-hmm. long-winded story, but college was the you first time I You made me want to study American Studies. I want to go back to college. American Studies American is the studies. best. Everyone should study American Studies. <laughs> I love American Studies. Mm-hmm. Then, so this really does, like, let's go back and kind of highlight this again, that um, even though you came in with an idea of what you wanted to do, um, Becky, you were still exposed to something new. Karen, you were exposed to new things. You will have opportunities in college that you have not had in high school. So choosing your major in high school is really a pretty tough thing to do. And I think that really explains 
why, what is it? Like when you, um, I think the studies that, that we've looked at say that when you compare to the major that students put on their application, right, to what they end up graduating with, it's like 50 to 80% of the time it's different depending on the college. My favorite fact, I know Sally, you and I discussed this and I remember, I think it was in the Chronicle of Higher Education, that people who changed their major actually were more likely to graduate on time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's also a common fear and actually evidence shows that's actually not a concern. In fact, the Mm -hmm. concern should be the other direction. So, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a, to kind of an anecdote that I think will work well for this. When I worked at Whittier, there was a student who was one of our interns in the office, very smart, very capable. And she was pre-dental, like she, biology major, pre-dental, pre-dental, pre-dental. And then in her last year, she took a film class and basically said, oh, my God, this is what I want to do and completely changed her mind. And be, but because she hadn't sort of tried out because she'd really had blinders on the whole way through in spite of the fact that honestly she had doubts and maybe because she had doubts, she was sort of almost purposefully not exposing herself to stuff she thought she might like. She only came upon this in her senior year. And uh, I just remember feeling quite badly for her that it took that long because, you know, Whittier actually had a decent film department. There was a lot of stuff she could have been doing in those years. And she took advantage to the extent possible in her last year, like went to the Oscars and filmed hmm. there, like, you know, managed to kind of like do some pretty cool stuff. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was quite late. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always say, like, explore early, even in high school, right? That's what your electives are for, right? If you have a psych course or a business course or, you know, again, the, the high school does not offer the breadth of opportunity, right? The college does for sure. But if something interests you, be it a film class, right? That's what electives are for, too, right? You don't always get a lot of choice in what your core curriculum courses are sometimes, but your electives are yours. So, you know, if you've got that opportunity or an outside experience, right, a summer camp, a, a week-long you know, thing on architecture, right? Great. That's a little bit of exposure. And again, a little exposure can go a really long way, right? I mean, again, three times in a teaching, right? And then my intro to education. And I was like, yep, nope, that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> right. But I just saved myself four years and potentially, right, a lifetime of, of doing a job I, I would not have enjoyed. So, um, I think the more exposure students can get, be it in the classroom, be it outside of the classroom, um, you know, and I think too, and I don't mean to take you in a direction you didn't mean to go, Sally, but I was thinking about like the three of us, right? So much of what you end up doing for a living, right? Often, often is not always related to what you study anyway, right? Mm-hmm. The most transformative reason I'm a, or the most informed reason I am a, you know, a work in college admissions is because I was a tour guide in college, right? Not really anything to do with my major to some degree, right? I, I have a master's degree in counseling and education. So yeah, education, I was in the right field. I was in the right genre. I just was in the wrong kind of subspecialty. But being a tour guide highly influenced that decision as well, right? I don't think any you know, kindergartner, when they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up, says, you know, firefighter, police officer, or admissions officer. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. says that, right? Like, nobody thinks of that as a job. Um, and it is kind of a strange, quirky job, right? But being a tour guide, having those extracurricular activities, too, I think really can help people figure mm-hmm. out what it is they want to do. Mm-hmm. I was having this conversation with a dad uh, a few weeks ago who very kindly and respectfully said, okay, yeah, but Becky, like, that's all well and good for the humanities majors who have to make an explanation, but my kid is going to be an engineer. What do you like? This isn't real. 
um, or and he didn't say this is real, but like th- was skeptical. And I said, you know, thank you so much for for calling me back into this moment. Can you tell me about what makes you good at your, he was a technical manager on an engineering track. What makes you good at your job and what has allowed you to grow and evolve through your career? And he like totally laughed at the own gotcha moment that we had Mm -hmm. fallen into because he was like, well, I've been really good at communicating with stakeholders and helping them see the value that I see and believe in what I'm working on. And I've been really good at tapping people across my, you know, working groups and teams to make sure I was getting like he identified what I would call soft skills, 21st mm-hmm. century skills as the reason he had navigated the professional success that he was going towards. And that's not to say that he of course did not need the technical content knowledge to get there. But when we were talking about what the purpose of college can be and what the learning outcomes for his 22 year old, now 17 year old future 22 year old could be, being able to recognize the things that are harder to teach, but more essential for career growth was really, really helpful across industries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I interviewed a few months ago, um, the deans of admission at Olin College of Engineering, Babson School of Business, and Wellesley, which is a liberal arts and sciences college. And, and uh, you know, both ba- the Babson and Olin deans said, the liberal arts are crucial. And we, as business and engineering, the so-called practical colleges are so much better for the liberal arts opportunities that our students to have because they were right next to Wellesley. Um, and I, I thought it was just so great to hear it from these colleges where this is their specialty. They obviously believe in it, but without the, the training that liberal arts give you, you're, you're, not, you're just not gonna do as well either, so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is actually a really good place to um, take a break. So um, we will be back in just a couple minutes. With data. With data. Yes. Thank you. Actually, let's go ahead. Those are you skeptics still in the room. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. For you skeptics still in the room. Also, we will address that there are some majors that you do have to go into. you, You have to decide on. So we'll address that. And we'll also have data that hopefully will give you some places to go and check out on your own and uh, do some research. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome, Becky and Karen. Um, thanks again for being here today. And now, let's address some of the hard facts. Like, I know that there were people listening to our previous segment who were like, yeah, right. I want to be an engineer. I can't be a psychology major and pivot into engineering. And so let's just acknowledge that they're correct. So let's talk about some of the majors that you do actually have to declare at the outset, Uh, like on your college application, you have to declare those to have access. Karen, why don't you uh, address that? Yeah, I mean, I I do think engineers, right? That's the most obvious one for me. I mean, I, I and I do kind of always joke that engineers kind of come out of the womb wired to be engineers. Like it's it's like the only thing they could be. And I don't mean that in a derogatory. I could not be an engineer like that. Mm-hmm. You could give me all the skills, and I would still be terrible at that. Um, engineers kind of usually just they've just always known that's what they want to do, right? They're the ones who were always tinkering with the toaster oven, or the they just they want to know how things work. I always joke, you know, my husband's an engineer, and you know, the other day I give this example all the time, like the toaster oven broke, which is why I said toaster oven. And he was like, you know, tweaking it and trying to like fix it. And he was like, and I was like checked out and I was like already making myself cereal. And he was like, don't you want to know why it's broken? And I was like, no, no, nope. I have zero interest <laughs> in why it's broken. Less than zero. I'm just thrilled that Target makes another one for 20 bucks and it's five minutes down the road, which I will be at later this afternoon. Like could care less why this is broken. He's like, so fa- like we just don't operate this thing, right? Like mm-hmm. he's always been like that. And I've always been like this. Right. And so it's not surprising. I was a humanities major and he is not right. So there are some people I think for whom, are either kind of wired a certain way or always I mean, feel like they've had a calling, right? I have met future doctors, nurses, engineers, teachers, um, pastors, social workers, people who've just felt a calling their entire life to do something. And I believe that exists. I really do. And many of them do go on to be those things. You know, I would say a lot of the time they do end up being those things. Um, and that's fine, too. So it's not it's not to say that that's not real. I think that is real. Um, and some of those are more important that you start off from the get-go, right? And, you know, maybe not teaching per se, right? You can be that as a sophomore, you know, you could probably do that later. Um, Engineers is the one that I particularly drive home. I always say, if you think remotely you want to be an engineer, start off in engineering. One, because it's so linear in progression, right? You have to take X before you take Y. You have to take Y before you take Z, right? It all builds upon each other. And if you don't just figure that out until the end of sophomore year, you're probably not graduating in four years. That's probably a realistic, unless you take, you know, a lot of summer school. I also think engineering is a quick litmus test for students, right? At Virginia Tech, I think the number they give is that 50% of freshman engineers will not end up as sophomore engineers, right? That's a huge attrition rate. Um, And I would rather you know that now, right? Let's grade it, figure it out, right? If you're like, this is really not for me, 
good. I'd rather you know that freshman year than senior year, right? Kind of to your friends in, in the film industries mm-hmm. kind of point, right? Let's let's try this out for size real quick. And, and this is usually either a good fit or it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there are some, some jobs like, or uh, majors like that, that I would suggest that you need to start off with. Um, I, you know, I don't know if Becky or Sally, you have other suggestions, but engineering to me is like the quintessential one. If you even think about it, start off there. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I'm cognizant that some people want to get through school as quickly as possible to minimize finances. They're not really into the whole liberal arts and sciences thing, which to me is a very, very sad thing, but we're here to serve everybody. So <laughs> if you want to be a nurse, if you want to be able to get to work as soon as possible, like, you know, then absolutely. Um, like nursing is another example of those or like physical therapy, if you want to do an accelerated program. But like, I really think that what I'm, the people that I'm trying to get through to are the people who really history is their favorite class, but they're thinking computer science or engineering because that's where the jobs are, you know? And I'm, and I'm not going to argue with the fact that engineers have great average incomes. Right. But at the same time, as we learned like Becky and I, in our research on, um, you know, majors to careers in that pathway, history majors at the top level of their income range actually make more than engineers at the bottom level. And if you don't really want to be an engineer, you're probably not going to be a very good one, or you're just going to stop being an engineer, which is what I've seen with some people who went into engineering, didn't like it, and then had to find some other sort of career pathway. So Becky, I was wondering if you had anything to add to that. Yeah, I would. What I was thinking as you were both talking is how easy it is to use a word and think it means something and someone else hears it a different way. And Mm -hmm. so I totally agree with Karen Spencer that in the structure of a four-year institution, if you want to leave with an engineering major or degree, you should start there because structurally sequential coursework is set up to be that way. But I also think a lot of entry-level jobs that teenagers would say, oh, that's a job in engineering are filled with math majors and computer science majors mm-hmm. and physics majors. And so I think it is the takeaway for teenagers is this is all so new and you have never done it before. And the value of asking people in the path that you want, professionals in the field for some grounded experience in what matters is so helpful. Um, part of the research that Sally and I were doing that you mentioned earlier, I connected with multiple hiring managers at Google, hiring software engineers, and not a single one of them talked about major as a priority or the value of being an engineering major as a priority when they were hiring fresh out of college undergrads. Mm -hmm. They talked about creativity and the desire to change the world with solutions and being able to collaborate to create meaningful products, that's not the same as majoring in engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is where, again, just like, we all don't know what we don't know. And so for the listeners out there who are for sure on an engineering track, that is awesome. Talk to your college counselor, talk to us about what that means for your application, and talk to professionals in the industry about the skills and planning and credentials that might be useful for you as you are navigating that path. Um, but Sally, I do have a, like 20 tabs open right now that I would love to share. Um, so I'm gonna share my screen and I, oh, host has disabled participant screen sharing. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sally, are you able to change that access? Are you the official host? You should be able to share now. <gasps> Woohoo! Y'all, we did it. Yes. Okay, I'm share my entire screen. <laughs> Our cooperative soft skills. We just yes, exactly. Um, okay, so right now I am on the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, the economic value of college majors. If you are not following along, you can do an internet search for this. Georgetown, C-E-W, economic value of college majors. Um, this is a treasure trove of years and years and years of wages over time, either as a bachelor degree or advanced degree and what people are making as they go. Um, summary, key findings, surprise, surprise, STEM majors on average make more, right? Like that, that doesn't surprise us. But what I find interesting is to think about what this means for an individual human. Like any one kid is not the average. Like none of us are the average. We're all bringing what we bring to any situation. And so Sally, I know you were referencing this earlier, the average computer science or computer engineer makes, makes so much more than the average communications and mass media major, right? Like that looks like the average communications major is making 57K. The average computer engineer is making 72K. But what I find interesting is that the, um, the third quartile of computer engineers and the second quartile of communications and mass media professionals are making the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Like the top half, the high earners in communications and the low earners in computer engineering, that's the same. And mm-hmm. we cannot interpret individual choice. We don't know who chose to go work for a nonprofit or who chose to go work for Amazon. Um, but I wonder how much of this is, who was freaking good at it? Who was in these classes and like me had this experience of the clouds opening and the sun shining and feeling powerful and smart and who was like, well, my parents always told me that the jobs are in, so I just got to do it. And right. Like, I don't know. We cannot assume, but I think it's so interesting to have some, some sort of content to consider as you are thinking about pathways through majors and speaking of pathways through majors, I mentioned earlier how we have no idea what we don't know. I adore the University of Missouri majors website. Whether or not you're looking at the University of Missouri, this is so good. Majors.missouri.edu. You can see the 300 degrees available at Mizzou, right? Like no one in high school is thinking, oh, I want to study Afro-Romance literature and translation, or I want to study- <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Right? Like, what is this stuff? <laughs> but what's so great about it, going back down to the C's, is when you click on a major, the Mizzou website tells you all about it. What does this actually mean? And what do you go on to do if you Mm -hmm. are developing the skills that this major supports? And so someone who studies communication, maybe they go on to become a human resources manager. Click on that. And here's what Sally likes. Mynextmove.org. Treasure trove of content and data. Someone in human resources is needs to be skilled at listening, problem solving, verbal, math. They have to have all these tools and their average salary might be 126K. And do the same for computer science. Someone who's gonna be successful in computer science also needs problem solving, verbal. It's like, you just need to be good at living life. Sorry, I'm getting on a rant. Like, <laughs> but look at their job outlook, making less life. money than the human resources. Yeah, you know, look at that. The average computer scientist is making less money than the average human resources manager. Your kid is not average. Your kid will be somewhere on that curve. 
Um, but I love mynextmove.org and the University of Missouri website to just learn and understand and think about what does this job even mean? Mm-hmm. These jobs that no teenager has ever thought about, human resource specialist. But I think it's a great learning tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too, you know, and I love it. I would love for you to go to something like we hear this all the time. What is she going to do with a history major? What are you going to do with a, right? Like I was actually on the call yesterday with somebody whose daughter wanted to study psychology. This person was a very hard science person. They were a researcher. Um, They were talking about psychology like it wasn't really a science. And Mm. so I was like, P.S., I was a psych major. And they were like, oh, crud. (laughs) Back it up, back it up. Um, And, but she said, I could tell she was kind of like, but what do people do with a psych major? And I said, well, first of all, I'm a psych major and I have the same job as my colleague, Becky, who was an American studies major and Sally, who was a what major? History major. History. Oh, look, you are also gainfully employed. Yes. Um, so, you know, so I think there's, it's, I think people who have very linear jobs, right, be an engineer, do engineering, have a really hard time wrapping their mind around something that does not have an obvious thing to do, right? History, mm-hmm. besides being a history teacher, what else could you do? Actually, tons of stuff, actually. Um, you know, even in my, you know, I always talk about IBM, I believe. I don't remember, Becky, I feel like you found this detail. The third most popular major hired at IBM, it might have been the first, honest to God, was a psych major. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, I yeah. remember finding that. And they were like, most commonly, you know, um, you know, hired major. And I remember the mom was like, well, what are they doing? I'm like, I don't know, but they're definitely <laughs> hiring. So I, uh, you know, like it, there are jobs. I think that's just like a very common misconception that this if you is don't like, have something very linear, you're not going to get employed. Data point number two, LinkedIn, a treasure trove. The answer mm-hmm. to what do you do with that? Here we are at University of Missouri. And I just searched for University of Missouri instead of searching for a name. And then I went to alumni and everyone who identifies as from the University of Missouri on LinkedIn is here. You can narrow into communications, which I did. And look, what do they do? They are admissions counselor, president, <laughs> senior man. Like here they are. This is what people are doing, and um, you can all the better. Like check out the computer science people. What are the computer scientists doing? Um, they're working at Amazon and Google and Boeing and Microsoft. And so it you're not limited. Like here you go. What I find really interesting is like let's go to let's go to Google. To your mm-hmm. point. Instead of searching for a person, let's go, oh, I got to do it here. Let's go look at Google. I didn't I didn't do this ahead of time, so I don't know what the answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. And let's see who Google is hiring and where they are hiring from. And my guess is that it's not going to be number one Stanford computer scientists. Let's see. I hope I'm right. People. Yeah. Berkeley. Oh, Stanford's number two. Bummer. <laughs> but look, they have as many business and administrative people. It's a quarter of their staff. Lots of options here. And the marketing majors are all over the place. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think it's just super fun. To look and they at had physical sciences was one of the majors too, which really supports. I knew physics majors who are, lots of them actually are now in, uh, you know, working in Silicon Valley. So Most yeah. Googlers are in media and communication. Most Googlers are not technical workers. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fun stuff. Data. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. Look around. Definitely. Any other um, resources or we have four minutes. So if you just wanted to show one more or we can. Oh, do you have the thing from um, where is it from? The circle with the swirlies. 
That's a really good thing. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, what is she saying? Yeah. Um, What school um, is that from again? This is from Williams College. A mathematician, Professor Devados, and I apologize if I said your name wrong, has compiled data on every single Williams College alumni, 15,000 people, and what they did um, with their major to career. And this. this reflects one small liberal arts college in Massachusetts. This is not a representative sample, but it is a very interesting data set to say, oh, what do you do with a political science major? Well, some went to law, some went to healthcare, some went to arts and entertainment. And even if you can see my screen, I'm sure these words are way too tiny. I suggest doing an internet search for Williams College um, impact major career path to find this. Um, it's just super helpful to see how many pathways there are to every different industry and how many pathways away from any major there are to so many different fields. Mm -hmm. By the way, I just noticed that um, from political studies, one of the pathways, like a a significant, was to banking and finance. And I think maybe it was the former head of, of, um, God, what was it, the FDA? I can't remember. Anyway, um, you know, he he was a political science major and then went on to Goldman Sachs. So the flexibility is absolutely there. Right. So well, I always joke that, you know, our the former general manager that both of us worked for right before we um, was an art history major. Right. And our current SVP went to MIT. Right. And studied. Right. So one person had a very clear direct path to being kind of the head of a company. The other one definitely did not. Both had the same job for all intents and purposes for a very long time, right? So you just never know what's going to lead you to Mm -hmm. the job you have. Okay. All right. So talk to people about their pathways. Talk to people. Exactly. And do research. Do research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the informational interview, sorry, just to plug that. I do. I love people. I would love for every student who thinks they might want a job one day in this field or that specific job to do a 15 minute informational interview with somebody who has it. People generally like to talk about themselves and their work, especially if they like it. So, you know, asking, how did you get here? All right, um, Karen, I'm sorry. Oh, I got I'm done. Yeah, cut I got cut you off. Thanks so much to Jan, <laughs> Becky and Karen. Be sure to listen next week because we'll be discussing attending college in the middle of nowhere versus in the heart of the city, the benefits of each. City is not automatically better. Becky can attest to that, as can Karen. Um, We'll also be reviewing the top 10 FAFSA, free application for federal student aid questions. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. You can download every show for free on iTunes. And don't forget, we're here every every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.